0: And I'm thankful that you're here tonight. And I pray the Lord would help us and uh, bless us. He mentioned, um, um, what was the name of that preacher you mentioned? But this is getting bad. Mays Jackson. Uh, I think it was the last time I preached with Mays uh, was in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And and Mays had a tremendous uh, radio program all over the South, especially. He called it the Truck Driver Special for the guys driving their trucks through the night and all that. And he had it with, it was with ABC Radio. And they apprised him, I think it was one December, that they were going to take him off the air. This is probably pushing 30 years ago uh, because of his religious broadcasting. They were going to take him off. And what he did, he saved up his money, the donations that people gave over the year. So when January 1st came around, Uh, he paid for all of his radio programs well over a hundred thousand dollars back in those days uh so it was all paid for and they then they couldn't take him off the air but uh they he was surprised that he was going to be taken off the air well the president of abc uh, radio back in those days went to see his mother and uh for christmas and while he was there she said now son I listen to Maze Jackson every day on the radio. And I've heard that he's going to be taken off the radio. Now, we can't have that son. That's not going to happen. But we need him on the radio. And sure enough, Maze Jackson got the news. You're back on for another year. And uh, and mom has some power, amen. But he was a tremendous, tremendous preacher, a God-called preacher. I think the first time I saw him, he preached on the prodigal son. It was in a tent meeting. And he had a guy, nobody knew about him, must have been hiding out in the car or something, uh, all dressed up real raggedy and uh, kind of stumbled into the tent at a certain point in the sermon. And he said, well, here comes the prodigal now. And uh, it was kind of a great way to illustrate his message. But I, again, I do appreciate being here. I thank God for the opportunity and the fellowship we've enjoyed. And I pray uh, that something has been said Uh, that has helped you in your Christian life. Um, I used to preach revival meetings, been doing it a long, long time. And you'd have a lot of people saved. Uh, It doesn't happen as much anymore. I'm afraid we have, uh, we Christians, myself included, we've lost our influence somehow. Or maybe our level of compassion and concern is not the way it ought to be. And you just don't see as many uh, lost people come to meetings and uh, Sunday mornings, et cetera. Uh, preach meetings and people would walk the aisles and get born again. And it's a sad state of affairs uh, where we're at, I think, in Christianity, in our brand of fundamentalism anyway. And may God help us uh, to be stirred about witnessing and giving out tracts. We went out today with... One of the gentlemen in the church, he did something. I'm going to start doing it. I never saw anybody do it before. But we ordered a meal, and he had a track already and had a tip already in there and gave it to the girl before we even ate. And I thought that was a good idea. And, you know, if she'd want to come back and she had some questions, we could talk to her and said, you know, if you just leave it on the table and you're gone... Uh, maybe they want to talk to you, maybe they need some help. So that's going to be my new way of passing out tracts to waitresses, I think. So it's been a help to me this week uh, to learn that little tactic. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. The seventh chapter of the book of Luke. I'm going to read a very familiar story, I think. Um, I'm going to give you, uh, I don't know, maybe a ten-minute introduction. Just three points tonight, quick points uh, to the message. And I pray that God would help us uh, this evening. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house... Brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. He began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I've read that verse a lot of times. and Just about every time I read it. I'm jealous of her. She got to do what she did for our Lord. And then verse 39, Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, He saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that set it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this story nestled here in the early chapters of the book of Luke of this woman that surely was a sinner. And Simon, I think, was perhaps even a bigger sinner. Now, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be introspective In regard to our own lives. It's easy to point fingers at others. It's easy to look at the bum at the rescue mission. Or uh, the yahoo someplace. uh, Living like the devil and really entrapped by the enemy. And look down our noses at them. God I pray you'd help us to be willing to say but by the grace of God, there go I. And as the pastor sang ship ahoy tonight, we ought to be so grateful that the old ship of Zion sailed by our home, picked us up, up and put us on board. And we've been with you and we'll be with you throughout eternity. Now I pray you'd help me tonight in these few minutes that, I feel I'll allot it to me and use the words from my mouth, the thoughts from my heart to take a place in the hearts and lives of our listeners tonight. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes on this topic. Who loves most? If I could have two titles or a subtitle. How much? Do you owe the Lord? How much do you owe the Lord? Now, this chapter sometimes or this story, sometimes uh, people would say things like, well, that looks like salvation by works. Not at all. Jesus said to her, I think in the next to the last verse, thy faith has saved thee. We are saved by faith. Now I want to talk to you, I'm going to give you a little story. It's uh, not a true story, I just made it up myself, about two boys. Both of them are genuinely saved boys, they're both born again people. I want to talk to you about the second person first. This boy, he's uh, about 20, 21 years of age, and he's been involved in obvious outward sin, The marks of sin are upon his person. He's lived an ungodly lifestyle. That's very evident. He's been into liquor and drugs and immorality. But by the grace of God, he's confronted by a Christian. He's led to Christ and he gets genuinely born again. His life completely changes. On the other hand... There's another young man I want to talk about. He grew up in a fine Christian home. He went to the Christian school all 12 or 13 years of his education. He made a profession of faith as a child and I'll give him the best. He genuinely got born again. His family had him in church. He attended every service. They never missed. He was involved. He heard the preaching. He went to daily vacation Bible school in the summer. And youth camp also. But this boy grew up to become what I would like to call by initials a B.A.B.B. You say, Brother Green, what is a B.A.B.B? A born again Baptist brat. So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about this born again Baptist brat. This other guy, young adulthood, he genuinely gets saved. And this born-again, and I'm giving him the great benefit of the doubt, Baptist Brad, while this guy that came out of the world got saved, this guy, is this saved guy grew up in church, he is whining about the fact that he still has to go to church. And he wants to sow his wild oats. He wants to experience some of the things in the world. On the one hand, this boy that was a heathen who got truly converted, he is transformed. He does nothing but want to live for God. He is faithful. He used to carry cigarettes up in this pocket or had them rolled up in his sleeve. Now he's got gospel tracts there, a little New Testament. He's involved. He is working. He never misses. He gives up his bad habits. He has a desire now to dress right and look right. His sole aspiration in life is to please Jesus Christ. He's interested in seeing folks saved. I tell you, if someone walks the island and gets saved, This guy can hardly contain himself. He he rejoices. He's shouting. He's praising God. He's saying, amen. Tears are flowing down his cheek. He is rejoicing in the fact that someone got born again. He also learned something about a word he had never heard of before, tithing. and he started tithing. You say, I don't even know what that is, preacher. That's giving 10% of your income back to God. Amen. And matter of fact, if you genuinely get saved, you're going to give a whole lot more than a tithe. Jesus Christ deserves all of everything that we have. So this guy, I mean, he is going all out. He's excited about church. I preached at a meeting and this is, I just threw this note in here. I preached in a meeting. I had a guy invite me to a meeting in Midland, Texas. A uh, preached, Larry Brown was at this thing. Uh, there were supposed to be eight of us preachers there. One pastor, he uh, got hurt, or his wife got hurt, broke her leg, and they couldn't come. For they were from El Paso, Texas. And they wanted my wife to come, so my wife and I, uh, we flew down there. I had a meeting starting in uh, Yuma, Arizona that same week. And so I was only there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I had to leave Wednesday and start that meeting. And I, this guy, called, I didn't even know the guy that called. I, didn't know, I never even heard of the church. And this young man, he said, my name's Phil Tini. He said, I'd like to invite you to come and be one of the speakers at our old timers conference. I said to that punk, I said, "What constitutes an old-timer?" He said, "Well, you have to be over 70 and have preached for over 40 years." I said, "I guess I'm in." <laughs> so I went there, and I was so delighted to be there. Uh, I, can't, I can't take a lot of time. Uh, I didn't preach at all Sunday. Uh, three old-timers preached. A uh, guy did Sunday school, a guy, guy did uh, the morning service. Another old codger uh, did Wednesday. Or excuse me, did Sunday night. And so uh, I'd love to tell you about the first guy, but I don't have time. The guy that preached last on Sunday, he got up. He had, you know, that thing around him, a breathing tank and all that business, and he gave his testimony. He came home from the Korean War and was a drunk and uh, just life was in a mess. And he said, uh, one day, he said, I had been to a bar and, Uh, got drunk on a Saturday night and he said, I didn't have anything, had just wandering around. He said, the only possessions I had, I had two pieces of cardboard. I had a piece of cardboard that I laid on the ground as a mattress and another piece of cardboard that I put over myself as a blanket. He said, I'd hid that uh, mattress and blanket uh, over in a little copse of woods and I'd gone to the bar, got drunk, came back over there and I laid down on my cardboard mattress and pulled the other cardboard over me as a blanket and went to sleep. He said, just kitty corner from where I was was a Baptist church. And he said some men were having a prayer meeting on Saturday night and when they came out and were standing around the porch talking, one of them said, I believe there's a body over there. And they, two or three fellas went down there. He said, I was laying there, in, you know, in a coma, basically, and uh, uh, just drunk and asleep. And he said, they awakened me and talked to me a little bit. I got up. They took me into church, sat there on the front row of pew. They talked to me for a little bit. He said, in one long, I was down on my knees, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, and I got born again. They said, after he got saved, he said, what are you going to do now? He said, well, I, I, I live my blanket and my mattress across the street. One of the fellows, you're not, you're not going to go over there. You're going to come home with me. He said, one of the men took me home and uh, fed me a meal, gave me uh, some pajamas to wear, took me into a spare bedroom, pulled back the blankets with clean sheets. He said, I, and I took a bath. He said, I, slept that night under clean white sheets for the first time and I could not remember. Said I got up Sunday morning. They fed me a good breakfast. I went to Sunday school. Went to Sunday morning church. They took me home that afternoon. Had a fine meal. I took a nap in that same bed. Said I went to church Sunday night. I went back home slept in that. I said I went uh, Monday night. I said Monday I stayed there. Tuesday I stayed, Wednesday I went back to church. Thursday night I went out on soul winning and haven't stopped since. Amen. That's a conversion, friend, that lasts a lifetime. A life-changing experience. Now, this Baptist brat, back to him. Now, he's he's exploring different lifestyles. You know that old fogey religion that he grew up with? I'm not interested in that anymore. I, I don't worry about how I live my life I just do what I want to do I don't care if I please God I only please self church oh I go once in a while you know just uh, feel like I'm doing God a favor when I show up when the invitation comes I don't want anybody to go forward we we'll just have to stay there longer I'm not interested in that tithing you kidding me I might tip God if I won at poker or uh, maybe won the lottery. You know, he kind of breaks his arm, patting himself on the back and winks at the usher. Tell the pastor I threw in a $100 bill today. This other guy is quitting stuff. This born again Baptist brat is experimenting with things and acquiring habits more and more bad habits into his life. He is loosening. This guy had, he had a head start. He grew up in church. He went to church and Sunday school. He now looks with derision and disdain at that new convert. He thinks he's some kind of fanatic. Oh, I might have gone to high school with him. Maybe I knew him in the neighborhood, but he's gone off the deep end. You ever seen that? Have you ever lived that? Have you ever seen this contrast? Assuming both are saved. Now, the reason for that difference is a principle that I think is found here in Luke chapter 7. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered, Simon. He said, I got something to say to you. And Simon, I think flippantly, says, Master, say on. And Jesus said, there there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. I think an individual's love for the Lord is determined by how indebted they feel they are to the Lord. How much do you think you owe God? Oh, just a little debt, 50 pence, that's all I am. Our great weighty debt, 500 pence. I wonder how God actually sees this. I wonder if he looks at it the way we look at it. I'll be honest with you tonight. I think every one of us owe him everything. Right. Oh. We all owe the same sin debt. The Bible says in Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. There's the same consequences for everyone in this world. No matter if you got saved at six or 60, if you got saved out of morality or immorality, we were all saved from the same devil's hell. No matter when you got saved, if you got saved along the road of life, We got saved out of the same hell. If you're not saved here tonight, you are going to hell. Unless you get saved. Unless you get born again. You see, we're redeemed at the same cost. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. We're, We're not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ whether at six or 60, the blood of Jesus Christ is the cleansing agent that redeems us for all eternity. Amen. Whether saved early, out of morality and a good home, I'll be honest with you. In one sense, you ought to owe him more. Do you have the opportunity and the privilege of growing up and being saved as a young person. You see, some of us have been saved from the past that was, and you could have been saved from the past that might have been. God and mercy and grace has kept some of us from A terrible life of sin. We really ought to owe him more. The Baptist brat that we're talking about tonight, this made-up individual, I don't think he realizes that God was good to him at all. The problem simply is, it's not how God sees our debt. His perspective, and I say it again, I'm repeating myself on purpose, we owe him everything. Everything. The crux of the matter is how we perceive our debt. If we see things aright, we would love Him more. We would want have a desire to please him always. We would praise him with our lips and with our life. It's what we think of God's forgiveness. It's how we value his grace. From God's eyes, we were all headed for hell and the cross of Jesus Christ stood in the way and he reached down and saved us by his marvelous grace. And it breeds, it ought to breed a deep devotion And lasting love and total dedication to the things of God. Our spirit, our dead spirit, has been quickened in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, that born-again Baptist brat, you know, I'm not so bad. You know, God got a pretty good deal when he got me. What a prize I was. That attitude will dilute one's devotion and dedication, and one will lose sight of the debt that they owe God. Now, that's my introduction. Here's my message. How much do I owe him? How indebted do you feel you are to God? Simon, I th- he probably thinks he's a 50-penser. He can see what's wrong with everybody else, but can't see what's wrong with himself. Now, obviously, this sinful woman, uh, she's way up there high or low on the list, however you look at it. I want to contrast initially the attitudes. Simon is haughty. She is humble. Simon is arrogant. She embraces humility. He's indifferent, she's filled with gratitude. He's careless, she is devoted. He's hypocritical, she feels unworthy. And you know, those people there in verse number 39, now when the Pharisee which had uh, bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he'd have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him arrogantly, proudly, proudly. She is a sinner. You ever look down your nose at a sinner? You ought to look in the mirror, friend. You'll see one every day if you do. You see, this woman, this is one of the most interesting parts of this little story. In verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And I thought about that little phrase. She stood At his feet behind him, weeping. Now, if you ever go to that part of the world and you go to a restaurant that hasn't been Americanized, a Mediterranean style restaurant, the table would be about right here and there's levels down, and you would sit perhaps right there and your plate would be there, the food would be there. Usually it's in a circle or an octagon, whatever, and people sit around. On, on these levels, and the the meal is there, and you sit about here, and your feet are about here. And the here's the Lord sitting there, and the Bible says she stood at his feet. So how did she do that? She had the bow yeah. and her long hair. And she put that ointment and she. Dried his feet with her hair. What a a symbol of humility, of grace, of compassion, of treating Jesus the way Simon should have treated him already, but he didn't. You see, I think the perception of the debt determines our attitudes towards the giver of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon's debt, in his opinion, is small. Hers is great. I can see she's a bad lady. He's full of pride. She's filled with penury. It's amazing to me. Here she is. Her heart is melted. The tears are falling from her her eyes like liquid diamonds And washing his feet and drying with her hair. I want you to consider these actions. I I love this. Look at verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. The the normal, common courtesies of the day were not performed by Simon, but this woman that he apprised to be a sinner, Simon perhaps humored the Lord. She honored him. You know, in that part of the world, uh, and in other parts of, that, of Europe, uh, in, we don't do it much in America. And I, I'm, Frankly, I'm not. It's one of the things in the Bible that we American Christians don't do uh, that doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> Greeting one another with an holy kiss. That doesn't bother me one bit that no, nobody's kissed me all week since I've been here. But I've preached in that part of the world a lot. I, The last time I, uh, in the decade of the 90s, I, I had 10 or 12 crusades over there that lasted several weeks. And we would, you could rent the biggest building in town in Romania. Um, they would be like the civic center here in America. Uh, you could rent that biggest building for about 10 to 15 bucks a night. And you'd pack them out. And we learned that if you passed out flyers for two hours, you had a riot. So we would only pass them out for an hour and you could pack the place. And people got saved. We had wonderful, wonderful meetings. But the last time I was in Romania, I was in a church. And the building was about as deep as this, but about uh, twice as wide. And it was packed with people. And I was at the back and this guy came in, full beard, full big beard. I think he was from Uzbekistan or one of those stands is where he was from. And he came in there and he had had supper. Um, He'd had blood sausage, boiled cabbage, and garlic. You say, how do you know? He kissed me. (laughs) You know, and I think, I think what a holy kiss is in the Bible is, you know, you don't even touch anybody, but whatever stand he was from, he kissed me right on the lips. And that big old beard—I don't know—big beard and b- tremendous breath. You know, it's so easy to sit in judgment of others if you forget the price. That was paid for the debt of sin that you owed that you owed Oswald Chambers said it this way he said God does not give us insight to be critical but to intercede in behalf of others you know you're reading your Bible you know this God didn't God doesn't show you this stuff so you can look down your nose at people he, look, he gives us that stuff so we can help people to get to where they need to be. You know, some of the most egregious uh, breakers of that, you know, is some rough roughneck guy out of the pits of almost an eternity in hell. He gets saved and he's saved about five years and, you know, he wears a suit to church and he looks pretty sharp and he's the guy looking down his nose. That's a shame. We remember the pit from which we were digged, and the rock from which we were hewn, where God found us when he saved us. I want to conclude with the approbation, the blessing, the approval. Jesus rebuked Simon, and he accepted her. And I like the way Jesus did it. Look at what it says in 44. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, so the pastor's got a, he's a good man. He's got broad shoulders. We'll let him be Simon. This young lady is nothing like that woman <laughs> that was a sinner. But Jesus looked at her and nailed his hide and just let him have. He's looking at her. I imagine Simon friends said, well, I guess he must be talking to her. And then he says, you or Mr. Mr. Simon called his name. Hey, I, I think that's what, you know, if I knew that there was somebody uh, over here that was doing something really wrong, I'd go over and preach it to this side of the auditorium. I've been preaching a long time. I learned a couple things. (laughs) Jesus said, looked at her and said to Simon, he let Simon have it. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to go to church where nobody ever steps on my toes. You see, I don't like my toes being stepped on. Well, then do right. Quit doing some dumb things. Quit going some dumb places. Quit saying some dumb things. How much do you owe the Lord? I think the story is apocryphal. But I've heard it a a long time ago, and I haven't said it in a long time, but I thought I'd try to get through it tonight. There was a king and a queen in a distant land who had no children. Thus, they had no heir to the throne. They uh, would take carriage rides. You know, they had a runner in front and... uh, uh, bootsman in the back and a guy you know with a whip and driving the carriage and they as they would go from town to town and village to village people would flee their path uh, just get out of the way the king and the queen were coming they were coming through a little village almost to back to the palace and all of a sudden that uh, driver of that pulled back on the reins and And the carriage went back and forth like this and the king had to hold the queen in place and uh, one of the footmen jumped off the back and ran by, they saw him go by and the king just happened to step out and he saw that footman reach down to grab a little boy, little tattered and torn child playing with some rudimentary toys there in the path and was about to throw him off to the side. And the king raised his hand and said, hold and everything froze. The king walked up to that little fella there. He scared to death. And he said, son, what are you doing? Oh, I'm playing, sir. He didn't know who the king was. He said, I'm just playing here. He said, well, where's your, where's your dad and mother? He said, I, I've never, I don't have a dad. I never had a father. Where's your mother? Oh, she died a few weeks ago. And by that time, the queen was standing at his side. He said, where do you live? He said, there's a widow woman down a a couple of streets and down a little alley. And she she feeds me and she lets me sleep in the wood box outside her home. So the king and the queen, they looked at one another. And when, when he looked at her, he could see in her eyes what she was interested in. And so they walked to the with a woman that cared for the little fella and it was easily the transaction was done. and The next thing that boy knew, he, he was sitting in the king's carriage. They turned off the main road and went up a long tree-lined uh, lane. And he looked out the window, and it looked like this giant mountain just grew in front of him, and it was the castle. He was brought into the castle and given a room bigger than any room he'd ever seen in his lifetime. It was his. There were clothes there, everything that anybody had, toys there, everything a young boy would ever want. Every day he would get up. He would be awakened by, he had a, a fellow that took care of him, this kind of on his, on his every bid and call, whatever the boy wanted. He had this footman that took care of him. And so uh, he would come in in the morning and he would say to the young Prince. now he would say your bath is ready he said your clothes are laid out the little fellow would go and take care of himself in the morning and put on a little Lord Fauntleroy type suit and a cummerbund and a little hat and you know buckled shoes and those kind of little pants that they used to wear and those socks up to his knees and he would come out the room and and uh, go have breakfast. One day the man that took care of him. Uh, Wakened him. Had that little Lord Fauntleroy outfit laying there. Little fella uh, got ready to go. And get cleaned up and put those clothes on. And came there. And the man asked him. He said. Uh, can I ask you a question sire? He said Sure. He said, why every once in a while when you're coming out of your room are you wiping the tears from your eyes? The little lad, he sheepishly smiled. He said, until tomorrow after uh, you draw my bath and you lay my clothes out, he said, leave the door open a little bit and and you'll see. And so the next morning all of that ritual was done and, and the man uh, the valet left the door open a little crack and he watched and that little fellow all dressed went over to a bureau drawer and he pulled it out and there was a little pair of dirty ragged pants and a little soiled tiny shirt and he took those pants and held him up to his waist and took that shirt and held it up to his neck and looked in the mirror and as he did he tears, began kind to of flowed down his face. He carefully folded those things up put it back came back and sheepishly smiled to the valet and the valet said, beg your pardon sire but I don't know what that means he said, oh those are the clothes I was wearing when the king and the queen picked me up and brought me to the palace. And I don't ever want to forget what the king has done for me. You know what I think happens to a lot of us? We forget where we came from. We forget what might have been. You imagine your life could you imagine your children's life could you imagine your loved one's life if Jesus hadn't come by your heart come to your home how much do we owe him we owe him everything we owe him our lives so many people They want to trade what they can't keep for what they can never lose. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Everything. James 1 and 17, Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. It comes from above. Our sins which are many, thank God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have been paid for and forgiven. I almost jumped up while the preacher was singing and sang that third verse, but I said, I don't know if I can hit those high notes either. (laughs) But I like this song too. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea so burdened with sin and distressed, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Make me your choice, and I entered the haven of rest. Well, I yielded myself to his tender embrace, and faith taking hold of his word, my fetters fell off, and I anchored my soul, and the haven of rest is my Lord. And I'll sail. Hey, born again Baptist brat, and I'll sail the wild seas no more. It would be wonderful tonight if there's someone in this building and I described you to a T. You're saved, but you've been a born again Baptist brat. You've sought, you know, you could be 20 years old. You could be 40 years old. You could be 60 years old. You could be an 80-year-old Baptist brat or a Methodist brat or any other kind of denomination brat. You've wrapped yourself up in the things of this world, and you know they don't satisfy. They will not pay off in anything but counterfeit funds. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Listen, I am glad that the sinner can be saved. And I'm glad that the born-again Baptist brat, the backslider, can be reclaimed. How many folk in this room, just by your own testimony, there was a time in your life after you got saved that you got away, but you've come back. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? My soul half the congregation. I don't know if I've ever preached to that many born-again Baptist brats in my life. (laughs) Let's bow our head and close our eyes.